you. You know, every cloud has a silver lining, or as Ma Ingalls would say, there's no great loss without some small gain. But now we have a big gain because when Kristen had to drop out, we said, Lord, 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 what will we do? And God answered our prayers and brought Mona Chicks to join us. If you have ever served as a deacon, you already know Mona. Um, I have a brief bottle, ladies. So, okay, Mona is married to David. I've never seen the guy, but she said so. Um, she has a child, Jonathan, who's at DigiPen, already in college and becoming a productive citizen. She has two cats. I'd like to see how she and Scott discuss those. And Mona it has been a friend of mine on Goodreads for a long time, so I know Mona loves mysteries. And both her cats, her cats are named after Agatha Christie detectives. They're Poirot and Miss Marple. So anyhow, Mona went to Westmont. She went to Fuller. She's super trained. She's been working at Belprez in the uh, prayer and care department since 2013. And uh, yeah, is our deacon and care coordinator, likes to cook likes to watch sports, likes to travel, and likes to teach us. So please welcome Mona. It is such a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, glad to see you all. I know so many of you. Let's get this right. Here, I'll bring it in closer. There we go. Now I can't see my notes. Okay. <laughs> So today we're talking about Matthew 15, and um, you may have read it. It's a pretty common, um, well-known story. Um, I want to tell you about something that happened to me a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, uh, I was driving home from work one day. It was after a session meeting that I'd been to, so it was dark and it was raining, and it was November, so of course it was raining. Um, and it had been dark for hours at that point. Um, so I was driving home from work, and I took a left turn into my neighborhood at the very turn that I always take. Uh, and it just so happened that someone on the other side wanted to make a left turn out of my neighborhood. Um, and we collided. We hit. And it, it was my, my car, we were going fast, everybody was okay, but my car was pretty well damaged because um, he hit me right at the wheel well in the front. So I, I managed to get my car out of the oncoming traffic, and then it wouldn't go anymore. It was done. That's what collisions do. Collisions break things and make them not work anymore. And that's what Jesus is doing uh, when he's engaging with the religious people of the day as he's breaking something to make it better. My car's all better now. It's great. Um, but Jesus comes along and he creates this collision between, as William Barclay calls it, the collision of two views of religion. So that's what this lecture is titled today. Today we have three stories, but one message. And one of these stories doesn't really seem to fit with the other two but it really does if you look at it. So we have the three stories. We have the Pharisees question Jesus and Jesus responds. We have the disciples question Jesus and Jesus responds. And we have the Canaanite woman questions Jesus and Jesus responds. 
So let's look at story one. This is the scripture, so this is verses one through 10. And my, mine is very small, but you can see it up here. Okay. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now we all know that washing your hands before you eat is a really good thing, right? Uh, it's, it's healthy, it keeps us away from the flu, so please wash your hands um, as much as possible. Um, but this isn't really about hygiene. This is about um, culture and religious tradition. We know from the Old Testament and from the New Testament that being clean was really important in the Jewish tradition, right? Um, we have all sorts of regulations throughout Leviticus about what's clean, what's unclean. And so washing the hands was a ritual that was part of the religious tradition that the, the Pharisees were very, very involved in. For the Pharisees, the measure of righteousness, the measure of righteousness, and loyalty to the Torah was obedience to the tradition. Okay. So, so let's put ourselves in that frame of mind. The Pharisees believe that they have to follow all of these things, all of these, these rules, in order to be faithful to their religion, right? Um, and we know that for Jesus, righteousness is important as well. We saw that back when we studied Matthew 6, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. So, it's important. Righteousness is important. But what Jesus is saying is God's righteousness, not your righteousness. That's how he's setting this up. Okay? So let's go on. This is Jesus' response. And it makes no sense until you look at it closely. <laughs> Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what they might have been that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, uh, that what uh, devoted to God, they are not to honor the father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Okay, what's going on here? Um, so, we know one of the commandments, one of the ten, right? Honor your father and mother. It's quoted here. Honor your father and mother. It's a commandment. Um, but what was happening is that the Pharisees were taking their temple gifts and, and kind of overdoing it. They were kind of creating an offshore account at the temple, right? <laughs> um, and they were, they were overdoing this and, and setting aside this money um, or... or goods or whatever it was, um, as devoted to God so that they wouldn't have to help their parents. The term honor is actually um, better phrased. We've always heard of it as honor, but it's better um, translated as help or support. Um, it's, this is talking about very, very specifically um, uh, support and material in a material way. You are to help them along. Uh, we know that there are problems all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of 
uh, widows and orphans not having the kind of support that they need. Um, so that's what this is talking about. It's you your support your parents. So if you're taking money that or or food or um, you know that bowl that you're taking to the temple to sacrifice um, and taking it there so that you don't have to help the parents, that's a problem. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what was going on. It's a, um, a practice called korban in, in Hebrew or doron in Greek. It's an offering. Now, I want to be clear. Giving to the church is good. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, giving to the church is good. Jesus is not saying it's not good to give gifts to the temple. He is not saying it's not good to bring offerings and your tithes and all of those things to the temple. He's getting at what the heart is and where your heart is. Why are you doing it? And what's, what's better? Okay, let's go on. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Okay, so I'm going to move forward really quick because here, this is where it is, Isaiah 29:13. You can see it's, it's quoted directly. There's also a, another uh, a psalm, Psalm 78, 36 and 37, where you see the same themes going on. Um, so that says, but then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongue. Their hearts were not loyal to him. <clears throat> they were not faithful to his covenant. So that sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? So what this is saying, <coughs> excuse me, um, these people honor me with their lips. So they're, they're saying things, good things are coming out, um, but the good things are not inside. So tradition is external. They're honoring Jesus, honoring God with their lips, um, but the internal is not right. God's truth is internal. Tradition is external. So <clears throat> Matthew sees Jesus um, as the, the true interpreter and upholder of the ultimate meaning of Jewish law. That's what this whole, his whole book is about. He's writing to Jewish Christians, as you know, um, and so he, he is trying, he's, his perspective and what he's trying to communicate in this whole gospel is how Jesus is the true interpreter of the law. And so if you look at this, um, this passage, you will see that Jesus truly is um, interpreting, reinterpreting what the law says, right? Um, we've seen it before in Matthew, and we're, we will see it, we will continue to see that throughout um, this this book. Um, and we know that this tension kept going. Um, this didn't solve the tension between uh, what, the, what the teaching of the law was and what people were, how they were expressing it. Um, we see this over and over and over again. Um, in Acts 10, we have this story of the first church council where they were trying to figure out what um, do Gentiles have to become Jewish first, therefore get circumcised and follow all the Jewish laws before they can be followers of Jesus? And that's this, um, this tension that has continued to go and continues today in the church, is how do we express 
What are the traditions that we express um, in, uh, in our religious uh, faith and, and how we worship God? Um, we see it in Romans. The book of Romans is um, Paul writing to a church that was, uh, was trying to figure out what you do with, with people who are steeped in custom, who have grown up with a certain set of rules, um, but also uh, this group of people who came in and didn't have those same rules, right? That's the, that's the struggle that we're experiencing. Customer tradition is not bad in itself, but when it becomes an excuse to not follow the commandments of God, and for Jesus, what are, what are the commandments that are most important? Love God, love your neighbor, right? Um, so if you're not following, if you're using the excuse uh, of tradition to not love God and not love your neighbor, then that's a problem. And that's what Jesus is saying. Okay, verse 10. I love this verse. This is awesome. Um, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Okay. <clears throat> so he goes back to the eating. It's not, this is not about washing hands anymore, but it is about the rules about being unclean and clean. Um, it is about tradition. Um, and Jesus is saying it's not what you put in <clears throat> that is a problem. It's what comes out. There's a parallel to this story in Mark. And I think it's really interesting to me, hopefully it's interesting to you as well, um, about how Matthew and Mark express this verse differently, this saying of Jesus. Mark was written for Gentiles, Christians, people who were not steeped in tradition, didn't have all of the, the um, the stories and the, the legends and the, um, the rules, all of those things were not part of um, what their experience of faith was. Matthew is writing to Jews, Jewish Christians, and they are people who are still, at this point, following um, Jewish law. They see it as, as vital and the, the path to righteousness, and that is um, how... Jesus uh, is, is setting this up, <clears throat> right? And, and Matthew and Mark have different takes on this verse because of that um, difference. So let's look at that. Mark, which is for Gentiles, it says, nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Matthew says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. You see the difference there? So Mark, who is not talking to people who have any kind of religious tradition coming in, um, says nothing, nothing outside a person can defile them. But Matthew step, takes a step back from that, and he says, wait a minute, These, I'm talking to Jews, people for whom laws about 
clean and unclean are very, very important. Um, and so he says, he softens us a little bit. And I think this, that this is really important for us to understand because I think it reassures us that tradition is okay. Tradition is good. Um, and sometimes we can feel really threatened when someone comes in to a space where we're, we're used to certain traditions and they don't have that same level of understanding or they don't agree with those traditions or they just express it differently. Sometimes when those people come in, we can feel really threatened by that, right? Um, but it's acknowledged here in scripture. We can see it playing out in the way that Matthew and Mark express Jesus' words here, um, that tradition is good. It can be upheld as long as we're, we're following the commandments first, right? So, do we still struggle with this today, with this, this tradition versus, yes, we absolutely do. Um, when I was, I was working, when I was in seminary back in my 20s, uh, I was working at a, an organization in Bellevue, and I was, most of the other people in our office was, were, were my generation. So they were, were all kind of within a couple of years of each other in age. Um, really young, really, you know, lots of energy. So I'm of the Generation X um, generation, and so we are all these Gen Xers. And th there was this one woman named Kelly, and Kelly was, um, we, we be became good friends. Uh, but Kelly had no idea about Christianity. None. Zero. She didn't know who Jesus was. She didn't know what the Bible was or why it was important. She didn't know anything about the gospel story. She didn't have any connection with all of the things that I had been, I had grown up in. And we had some really great conversations. But I think back to her really frequently when, when I'm thinking about people who come in and have different rules um, or don't have any rules about how you express your faith. Um, and what that looks like. The millennial generation is, uh, has taken that, that little piece of the Gen X generation that um, doesn't, didn't know anything about Jesus. The millennials, that's just exploded in that generation. And there's so many millennials who have no background at all in religion. Um, so it's, that's a struggle if we're trying to um, reach this generation and reach people who have no background in religion, what does that look like for us? So some of the norms that I find myself kind of getting stuck in, um, one of them is what I wear to church. Um, this is kind of a big topic of conversation here at Belcrest right now, so I think this is timely. Um, so when I was growing up, I grew up in a church. My dad was a pastor, um, and the norms in my church were that if you would wear a skirt or a dress, um, maybe flats, maybe, but, but better to wear a skirt or a dress and high heels. That's what you wear. Uh, now, a, a friend of mine went to church, grew up in church in the South, and their norms were different. You definitely wouldn't wear pants, and you would never, ever wear black in church. 
which shocked me because all I wore was black pants. <laughs> now we have this kind of come as you are sense right here, right? Um, we're, we're trying to be welcoming of all people. So what does that look like? Um, is, this a, is this a valuable tradition to, to be respectful and um, wearing your best for worship? Is that valuable? Of course it is. Of course it is. But it's more valuable to love your neighbor as, and love God. This um, is me. This is how we dressed up for church as kids. That's, I'm circled. I don't know if you can see that. Just kidding. Um, Laura Ingalls Wilder is not in this picture. Um, <laughs> this is uh, the 100th anniversary of one of the churches where my dad was the pastor. My dad's the guy in the top hat. Um, so we all dressed up in period wear, and so I just thought that was kind of fun. Um, but that is me. My brother's next to me in the little um, Amish hat. Okay, story two. We're going to start going faster here. Um, then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Um, the term offended uh, is actually scandalized. The Pharisees were scandalized, right? And you can kind of get the sense that the disciples are a little scandalized too. Maybe not by what Jesus said, but that, that the Pharisees were scandalized. That made the, the disciples a little scandalized. This shows that the disciples are still really engaged in um, the, the Pharisaical culture, right? They, were, they saw the Pharisees as people who were doing it right. Um, and it, it was a struggle for them. Um, and they're, they're struggling with what that could mean. Um, they wanted to strive for righteousness, and the, and the Pharisees were doing that well. Um, we usually look at the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, all these people that Jesus was in conflict with throughout the, the Gospels um, as bad guys who had it wrong. But at this point, the even the disciples, even Jesus' followers, didn't see it that way. They saw the Pharisees as the people who were, they were getting it right. And Jesus is, it keeps challenging them. And what do we do with that? They're in, they're in internal conflict with themselves. Um, and they're still not getting what Jesus is saying. And it's really clear throughout this, uh, this scripture. So, going on, he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Lead them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That's a great visual, isn't it? Uh, blind person leading a blind person, and they don't know where they're going. They don't have any way of, of telling what's in front of them. So, what does it mean that this plant is being pulled up by its roots? What Jesus is saying here is, you know, he uses frequently throughout um, scripture, this is a, an agricultural uh, context, right? A lot of people, a lot of people are farming and have, uh, are planting just to get by um, and or to sell their wares to their, their produce um, to other places. Um, so he uses plants frequently as he's telling stories because that's something that people can understand. Um, and so when he's, he's talking, I mean, this made me think of the, the parable that Jesus told where he's scattering the seeds. 
um, the farmer scattering the seeds. And who's the farmer in that parable? It's, it's God, right? So God is the planter. Um, and but if you if there's something in a on a, on a farm that has been well, hasn't been planted by the farmer, what are they going to do? The farmer's going to pull that out, right? Because it's taking important nutrients and water, and it's taking up those things that his plants, the things that he did plant, um, need. So th- what Jesus is saying here is that these people, the Pharisees, who are um, teaching things that are not uh, in line with what God wants, are, they will be pulled out, and they are blind guides. Leave them. Don't worry about them. Yeah, they're probably scandalized, but don't worry about it. Right? And then Peter says, explain the parable to us. He is probably thinking about the seeds, right, and the plants, and the blind guides. Explain that to us. But Jesus goes back to verse 11 um, earlier, and he says, are you still so dull? Peter is is, is good at this. (laughs) Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So, In verse 17, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Jesus is saying, this is what you're eating has little importance. It's just going to pass through. It's what's festering inside that is important. So washing your hands, um, it's still hygienic. Please do so. Please even wash your hands. But the tradition um, is not what makes you righteous what Jesus is saying. It's not the tradition, it's what is in your heart. So then we have story three, the Canaanite woman, which doesn't really seem to fit with these other two. Um, So he left that place. He's in um, somewhere around Jerusalem in a very Jewish area. um, And Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is a Gentile area. Canaanite woman is the only time that that word Canaanite is actually used in the the New Testament. Um, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and is suffering terribly. Lord, son of David. Son of David was a very um, well-known phrase referring to the Messiah. Okay, so she is taking, she's, she's a Gentile, she's Canaanite, reflecting back to the time when the Israelites had to come in and, and clear the land of the Canaanites, right? Um, that's a reflection of that. So she um, is very clearly a Gentile. But she's using, a, a, she's humbling herself to use a, a Jewish um, term to refer to Jesus. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Send her away. So the last time they speak up, they say, they're like, she's scandalized. 
And then they speak up and they're like, she's bucking us, get rid of her. She's annoying. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. At this point in Matthew, Jesus has not opened up his ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, He's still focused on trying to um, change people's hearts. That's what this whole passage is about, is changing people's hearts to follow God more closely. Um, And so this is kind of a struggling, a a verse that we struggle with a lot because it seems very limiting um, and it's not very welcoming. We will see later in Matthew, um, especially at the end, how Jesus opens it up to all the nations. Um, Go make disciples of all nations, right? Um, But here... Jesus is still focused on the people of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me, she said. Um, Lord, have mercy, is another um, version of this. That's Kyrie eleison. You've probably heard a song or two with those, those words. Kyrie eleison, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Woman, you have great faith. There's only two times in all of the book of Matthew where someone has said you have great faith. And they are both Gentiles. The first one is the Roman centurion, whose son um, is ill and dying, and Jesus heals him right then. It's a very close parallel to this story. Um, and then the second time is here, with the Canaanite woman. You have great faith. <laughs> so, this is not my dog. I don't have a dog. But he's cute, and dogs are always okay, right? It's always okay to show a puppy picture. Uh, This woman humbles herself and likens herself to a dog, right? Um, Eating the scraps from her master's table. Um, That's important in how we understand what it means to be righteous. So this is not my dog. This is, however, my cat. (laughs) He also will gladly clean up the table scraps under the table, although he'd rather eat it straight off your plate. (laughs) Making that clear. This is Corro. He's got a mustache. See? That's... (laughs) Okay. Let's compare and contrast these stories. Uh, Because what we have here is the traditional view of what righteousness means and the, the... a new view that Jesus is, is giving us. The Pharisees and the disciples, they come from Jerusalem. They're steeped in the culture of Jewishness. Um, they come from this holy city, the temple, and they are pursuing righteousness in the way that they have been taught. Right? They are pursuing righteousness in the way that they have been taught. Um, the Canaanite woman comes from Tyre and Sidon, which is Gentile territory. Um, and she is not pursuing righteousness, as far as we know. We don't know a whole lot about her. 
So the Pharisees do good external things, but sacrifice their heart. The Canaanite woman's heart is steadfast. She sacrifices her own dignity at the feet of the Lord. The disciples are scandalized by both. First, that Jesus offended the Pharisees, and then by the Canaanite woman's persistence. The Pharisees were called blind. The Canaanite woman was told that she had great faith. Some of the things that we can learn from the Canaanite woman um, as she is uh, in this story is that she was persistent in calling out for, for Jesus. She called him Lord three times. Lord, that's a familiar number, huh? Three times. Lord, 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 have mercy on me. Save my daughter. She called him the Messiah. She humbled herself at his feet. Sounds pretty much the opposite of what the Pharisees were doing, right? So what should we learn? Acts of religious custom or tradition are not bad. But the motivation, what comes from your heart, following God, is what makes you righteous. So, so here at Bell Press, we have a lot of this tension kind of going on right now. Um, not just what we wear, but, but different cultures, and I don't just mean ethnic cultures that are coming in, but, but the, the different ethnicities, different um, ages, all of this, um, people who have long-term understanding of uh, what it means to be a Christian, who have grown up, who've been steeped in uh, certain types of tradition and ritual, which are good, right? Um, and then we have people who are coming in who have grown up in different traditions. Um, there's a lot of um, the, a lot of the African cultures that we have in our church. Were, um, those churches in Africa were founded by Pentecostal churches, and so they have a different expression, um, different style of expression, and that's good. We have people coming in who've never heard about Jesus or uh, heard and want to learn more about who Jesus is, but they don't have the, the history in church. Uh, they don't understand. And that sounds to me a whole lot like the Gentiles, right? Um, people who knew Jesus, wanted to know more about Jesus, who are willing to say, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. And what happens? It, they were being rejected, right? And that's not what we want to do. We want to be embracing people who have um, different cultures, who are coming here with different ex expressions of faith. Doesn't mean that our expression is wrong. Our job is what? Love God and love people. Thank you. Thank you.